several announcements I wanted to share with you. We've always got something to say, right? Half of the Gideons International, and in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it is indeed good to be here. Uh, the last time I was was back in the days of Pastor Jeff Turcott, so that's been a while. Um, we are privileged to present a Gideon report, as we call it, a ministry report. And uh, <clears throat> so there are uh, 250,000 Gideons and auxiliary members throughout the world. Uh, we have ministries, uh, members in 200 countries. Uh, we minister in 109 languages. And uh, we've distributed almost two and a half billion copies of God's Word, free of charge always, of course, uh, throughout time. And so it's roughly 50 million this year. The COVID uh, interruption has been a setback, but uh, we were on track to uh, distribute 120 million copies per year uh, in 2020, but uh, that we got derailed a bit, but we're coming back now. Hotels and motels, colleges and universities, we have distributions here at SUNY Plattsburgh every April. Uh, youth testaments, uh, hospitals, jails and prisons, service testaments, personal workers, and so, uh, as Gideons, we're privileged to give these out. And there you have many helps in the front, where to look if you're discouraged or facing temptation and refers people to uh, page and chapter and verse in the Bible, so on. And then the uh, plan of salvation is in the back of every Gideon New Testament. So. These can be purchased for a dollar and the five dollars to get the whole Bible. And um, so again, it's our uh, ministry and our, our joy. So um, it's God's word for the uh, Hebrews 4:12 says, "For the word of God is living and powerful." and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, and of the joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Word of God, Hebrews 4.12. And as theologian Robert Morgan states, one of the Bible's 316s, magnificent, 316s, along with John, is uh, Second Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, uh, that um, the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I always cite uh, invariably in my presentations uh, Hebrews 4.12. I, as a 
New Gideon didn't, speaker didn't start out that way, but about 35 years ago, I would guess now, uh, when I was speaking, uh, a pastor commended this verse to me, Hebrews 4.12, and that, that pastor was Pastor Judy Bradley Priebus. So I thank you, Pastor Judy, for uh, that, and uh, it goes with every presentation. So uh, the heart of uh, the presentation this morning is uh, two uh, testimonies, and I was concerned that we wouldn't have those, um, and I would have to relate them here, but uh, Pastor Franklin and, and uh, uh, Mr. Jock have uh, been more than an answer to my prayers. So uh, please give attention to uh, the first testimony by uh, uh, Sandra Brown or uh, Sandra Boyd or Tempe Brown, whichever, I'm not sure the order here, but. What God has done in the life of someone who's received the Gideon test and then the touch by the gospel. Sandy Boyd and her husband, Scott, live in Rockwell, Texas. Sandy's the owner and CEO of Bridging the Gap Interpreting Agency. She and Scott have two adult children and five grandchildren. Now Sandy's story is nothing short of an amazing account of how God's saving power can impact a life. She and Scott have traveled the world, ministering to others and seeing many set free. Sandy's testimony aired on CBN's 700 Club in 2014 and is recorded in Hearn Scott's published book, Transformed, Escaping Witchcraft, Satanism, and the Occult. Please welcome Mrs. Sandy Boyd. blessing to be here this evening with you all and how God has uh, afforded me the opportunity to share my testimony once again with you and um, so I was raised in Southern California um, I had two older sisters my grandmother introduced me and my sisters to witchcraft at a very early age we were about seven eight years old my grandmother would give us incantation books and teach us how to cast spells and we thought this was normal. We would do seances with our friends down the street, and, and we dabbled in witchcraft and thought it was all in good fun. And, and as I grew older, my dad had taken it a step further. Not only was he involved in the occult, but he got involved in Satanism. My dad introduced me to drugs for the very first time when I was nine years old. And by the time I was 11, I was so addicted to these drugs that I was a willing participant in the occult activity. To me, this was normal. I watched as my sister was very rebellious. She would come against my dad. She refused to conform to the ways that my dad was uh, demanding of her. And so I watched as they put her in a psychiatric hospital because she would not conform. She was 13 years old when she went in and she was 18, old enough to sign herself out by the time she got out. She went through electric shock treatments, was diagnosed with bipolar, 
And as I watched my sister go into this hospital, I feared for my life that if I were to remove myself from this situation or, or come against my dad, that this same thing would happen to me. You see, my dad told me all of my life that I was to be completely dependent on him. He would be there to supply everything that I needed. And so I put my trust in him and that's exactly where he wanted me to be. By the time I was 17 years old, I ran away from home. I dropped out of school, and I thought to myself, there's got to be a, a, a different way of life. And I didn't really know what I was in search for exactly, but I knew that I had a desire in my heart for someone to love me. And in pursuit of that, I when I lived in California, I ran all the way to Washington State. I ended up in Washington State. And there, I was still addicted. Even though I ran away from home, I was still an addict. I was still addicted to the drugs. I did whatever I could to, um, to get the drugs without having to turn back to my dad. My dad always seemed to catch up with me. He had people following me. He kept tabs on me. And there he was to offer me the drugs once again. And as an addict, of course, I would, I would take those drugs. And so I ended up getting married, and I thought, well, maybe a change in my identity, and, and my family wouldn't be able to find me. So I got married, and my name changed. My husband and I had a son together. I was still an addict. I was prostituting myself at night and being a mother to my son during the day to continue my habit without having to rely on my dad. That lasted for about a year and a half and my husband filed for divorce. I tried to keep custody of my son at that time because to me, he was the only thing that loved me unconditionally and the only love that I had in my life was my little boy at that time. I lived in the front seat of my car. I had a part-time job trying to cover up my lifestyle the authorities caught up with me within two weeks, and I lost total custody of my son without visitation. And at that moment, part of my heart left that day when they took my son. And I ended up on the, the streets prostituting myself again. I ended up in the state of Texas. And there I met someone else and tried to continue to change my identity and got together with him and had a little girl. My dad showed up at my front door about three weeks after I had moved to Texas. And once again, that vicious cycle just continued. And I was pretty much convinced at that time that there was no way out of this lifestyle. My husband and I had a little girl together. And I just, we, we ended up in divorce shortly after that. And I, I kept custody of my little girl and moved in with my sister at that time who had just gotten out of the psychiatric hospital. And I remember one night as I lay in my bed, I felt something nudge the bottom of my bed and as I sat up, I thought, what is this in front of me? And it was a, about an eight, an eight foot hooded figure stood in the, at the edge of my bed and he pointed at me and he said, it's time. And I couldn't understand what that meant. And it, he said, it's time. And so 
With my involvement in the occult, I had never come in contact with an entity like this before, but I knew that this was something significant. And he said, it's time now for you to teach your daughter what your grandmother had taught you. Well, little did I know, three weeks prior to that, my grandmother had passed away. And so I knew at that moment that this was a cycle that was supposed to travel from my grandmother to myself to my children, and this was supposed to continue on. At that point, I knew that this supernatural being, I could not fight in the natural. And I knew that I had to do something to protect my daughter. So I pondered on this for a couple days, and I thought, you know, the only way that I know to protect her is that I would just take my life, and my daughter would end up being adopted by a normal family, someone who could really show her a way of life that I never could. And so I remember going out to a remote area in a field. I was sitting in the front seat of my car. I had a razor blade. I was prepared to take my life that day. And as I sat there in the front seat of my car, I was sobbing and I leaned my seat back and I had the razor blade in one hand and my other hand fell to the side in between my seat and my console and I felt something. And I picked it up and it was this New Testament Gideon Bible. This is the very Bible that I found in my car. Now let me tell you, I got my car from a drug dealer. So I know that they weren't Christians. And I had that car for several years. I never saw this Bible. But do you know that God knew exactly where I was at, exactly the right time, at the time that I was going to take my life? And I know that it's not standard procedure for Gideons to walk by and just drop Bibles into the windows of cars. But that is my first question when I get to heaven is, who put this Bible in my car? And as I sat there in the front seat of my car that day holding this Bible, I started thumbing through it. I put my razor blade down. And as I was looking through it, I got to the back. And there was a sinner's prayer. And I said the sinner's prayer that day in the front seat of my car and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it has never been the same. To God be the glory. And from that point on, all the way home to pick up my daughter, I was reciting that sinner's prayer. I must have said it 25 times. That's the only prayer I knew. But I kept saying it over and over because it brought me such comfort. And do you know that the love that I have searched for all of my life was just one prayer away? Because at that moment, I felt a love in my heart that I had never experienced before in my entire life. And I knew that God was near. So I went home and I grabbed my little girl and, and I was so excited and I put her down to bed about an hour later. And the next thing I know, she's screaming at the top of her lungs and I ran into her bedroom and there was literally, her ceiling fan was spinning so fast I thought it was literally gonna drop to the ground. My daughter was standing in her crib and she was screaming, mommy, they're biting me. And I ran through that room and I picked her up and she had literal bite marks on her arm. And it came to my realization at that moment that that 
enemy who, ha who I had served all of my life. I had served Satan all of my life. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, he then became my enemy. And he was also an enemy of God. And I knew that God had protected me. And I huddled in the corner of that apartment that night, reciting the sinner's prayer over and over, rocking my daughter in my arms. And God sustained us that night. The very next day, I called a Christian man that I had known prior um, in my life when I was, I was married to his son, so it was my first husband's dad. And I called him, and he was the only person remotely related to Christianity that I knew. And I told him what was going on, that I had just given my life to Jesus. And my daughter and I were being attacked. This was a spiritual battle. This was not a physical battle that I could fight. And he said, please come to Texas. He said, I want you to come, and I want you to be part of our fellowship because you are going to need a family of God to support you and teach you how to fight this war. He said, God gives you these instructions in his word. And so the very next day, I went out there. He paid for our ticket to go out there, and um, I stayed with him. My daughter and I stayed with him and his wife, and I was like a sponge. I just absorbed God's word. And actually, I stayed there for about two or three years. And you know, I left everything behind. I left, my, my family had totally excommunicated me because I was serving the wrong God, so they said. And I knew that I had to sacrifice everything, my car, my apartment, everything I owned. And I was fearful to go into what I was going into because I had no idea what to expect. But I knew that I did not want to go back to where I came from. I had the Holy Spirit living in me. I had my daughter in my arms, and I was ready to sacrifice everything I needed to for this Christianity. And from that point on, do you know God was working behind the scenes the whole time preparing a godly man for me who was familiar with working with people out of the occult and people with similar backgrounds as myself. And him and I ended up getting married in 2005. And him and I now pastor a church in Garland, Texas, ministering to people who have similar backgrounds as myself. And I'm here to tell you right now that my daughter is now almost 31 years old and she has never casted a spell in her life. And she is our worship leader, her husband, is our youth pastor, and do you know that I am a first-generation, blood-bought Christian in my whole family? My daughter is the second generation, and her children are just going to carry that on until the end of time. So no more living under these generational curses any longer, because God had redeemed me from the curses under these laws. And now I'm living under the blessings and that will be my legacy to my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And I just want to stand here today and tell you, Gideons, 
If it was not for you and the ministry, the time and the effort and the sacrifice that you put into this ministry, I would not be standing here tonight before you all. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the outreach that you do. And you know, there are so many lives that you probably can't even count that you have touched and influenced that on that day when you go to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he will look at you and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you. God bless you all. The life-transforming power of the Word of God. It's inspired, uh, infallible, and uh, inexhaustible. Of course, the Bible is a library in itself, God's love letter to the human race. 66 books, 1,189 chapters, and over 31,000 verses, all inspired so uh, we know that God is revealed in, in a general way through uh, the biophysical world. Uh, as Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So everyone, uh, it's indicated in Romans 1 and Ecclesiastes 3.3, Every, people everywhere have a sense that there is God, uh, a God out there that created. And God's footprints, of course, are writ large across the biophysical world. It's, it's undeniable to any sane and thinking person. So, but we don't get saved by gazing at the stars or magnificent scenery. Uh, out in the Adirondacks or wherever from Whiteface Mountain or Marcy. Any, any Adirondack 46ers here? Oh, good, good, okay, God bless you. Uh, but uh, we, we see the general revelation of the Lord, but only his written word is, speaks to us in a, in a direct manner and reveals the nature of God himself. So God's word is God's voice. He speaks to us. The Holy Spirit brings it alive and uh, we're quickened our spirit and wooed and, and drawn to the Lord through the power uh, of the Holy Word. And so that's the vital work that Gideons have of getting the word out there. And we know that it's going to have positive results. That's our theme verse in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. That's God's promise. It's our job to sow the seed. We can't save anybody, of course, but we sow the seed, others water, and God always gives the increase. So another uh, dramatic uh, conversion 
is our second testimony, one Tempe Brown. Please give attention to this. I was raised in the church. I knew about Jesus. Well, I know about Prince William, too. I don't know him. There's a big difference between knowing about somebody and knowing them, isn't there? I got married right out of high school. It was a bad marriage. We had three children. It ended in 1968. I left Florida, went back to my hometown of Oklahoma City, started looking for work. I found a job illustrating children's reading books, bringing home $65 a week. And of course, that wasn't going to make enough, so I had to work a second job. And I always thought I could sing, but I wasn't sure I could do it professionally. But starvation will give you a lot of courage. So I auditioned, and uh, much to my shock, they hired me. And so there I was, Oklahoma City's new jazz queen. And uh, so I was working two jobs and it's kind of hard to raise a family when you're never there. I was never home. And my girls began to get in trouble. And it just went on and on, and it was bad. I sent my son, Tommy, back to his dad, who'd remarried down in Florida, thinking it would just be a short amount of time till I got those girls straightened out. Well, they didn't get straightened out. They went to prison, both of them. And it was a hard time for all of us. Well, some time went by. They got out and kind of went their own separate ways. And by then, I had put a show band together. And I looked just like Cher in those days. Can you dig it? <laughs> and uh, I hit the road with my band. My two brothers got very sick about that time. My oldest brother, Don, was a dentist in Birmingham, Alabama. And he got multiple sclerosis. And my brother Jim was a plant manager with Union Carbide, and he got leukemia. And instead of becoming bitter, both of them turned their lives over to Jesus Christ. Hmm. And they started praying for me. Guess you know what that does. <laughs> Put me on the holy hit list. And as I traveled, I literally lived in hotel rooms and motel rooms, sometimes two and three weeks at a time. Guess what's in all those hotel rooms? Bibles, placed by the Gideons. Thank God for you, Gideons. And when you're looking for answers, you'll pick those things up. And I was definitely looking for answers, and so I began to pick them up. And of course, we all know the Bible's the only book in the world where every time you open it, the author shows up. <laughs> and he showed up. Can you, can you imagine the Holy Spirit on the road with a rock band? He was there. Aren't you glad he doesn't care who he hangs out with? Thank God. And so I would open it up, and he'd show up, and he would minister to my heart through the Word of God quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that word began to work in my heart. And I read a scripture in John 3, just below John 3:16, where it said, Men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. And that scared me because for the first time in my life, I realized I was in darkness. 
And I did not have that light I had been reading about. And that scared me. And that put me on my knees in a Holiday Inn in Owensboro, Kentucky, crying my eyes out. And I asked the Lord to forgive me of all my sins and to come into my heart. And he wasted no time at all. He'd been waiting for that prayer for 38 years. And I got up off my knees, a brand new little baby Christian, didn't have a clue as to what to do next, so I did what I always did, went right back down on the stage. And I got down there and I looked around and first thing I said was, how come it's so dark in here? It wasn't any darker than it always been. It's just that the light of the world had moved in. And when he crawls up from behind your eyes and he's looking around, nothing looks the same ever again. And the second thing I noticed, and this is kind of weird, I loved everybody in the room. I thought, what am I supposed to do with this? I thought, well, maybe a loving thing would be to tell them what I'd learned, which wasn't much, it was more they knew. So I started telling everybody in the nightclub about Jesus. And that went over like a screen door in a submarine, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> they really didn't want to hear it. Isn't that funny? The thing we need to hear the most is the thing we want to hear the least. But I couldn't help myself because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that was big in my heart, so that's what came out of my mouth. Well, that got me fired. And that happened in San Angelo, Texas in August of 1977. And I left my band left a message for them not to ever try to find me, not to look me up. And I went out and got in my car and said a little prayer. I said, Lord, I don't know what you want with me, but from this day forward, you have my undivided attention. He sure had, I sure had his undivided attention on that cross. And I started driving north. I figured I'd hit Oklahoma somewhere. I didn't know where to go, so I started praying about that. And pretty soon, I started getting this kind of homesick feeling for Lawton, Oklahoma, where I graduated from high school in 1957. I'll wait while you all count it up. <laughs> I had no reason to go back there. I had not communicated with any of my classmates in 20 years. My parents didn't live there anymore. But I just longed to look up my best friend in high school, Catherine Stanley. So I got there and I looked her up and she invited me to come over and spend the night. And as I drove over there, I thought, she's going to think I'm crazy. She's going to ask me what I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm doing here. First words out of her mouth, well, what are you doing here? And all I have is the truth, so I started telling her everything that happened to me, and pretty soon she lets out with a great big, well, praise the Lord, like this scared me to death. <laughs> this is great. I'm going to have all the ladies in the church come over and meet you in the morning. <laughs> I said, oh, swell. I was not thrilled. I didn't think I had the clothes to meet the ladies in the church. You know that one? Hello? 
Well, all I had was tight jeans and a t-shirt with something stupid written on it. It was either that or something wild and glittery that I wore on the stage, and I thought, wonder which one I ought to put on. <laughs> so I found my least tight jeans and my least stupid saying on my t-shirt and brushed out that long black share hair, came walking out scared to death. And I just stopped in the hallway and said a little prayer. I said, oh Jesus, please let them love me. Little basic need we all have. So I took the big plunge. I stepped into that kitchen and those ladies turned around and they looked at me, grinning like a bunch of horses eating briars, you know, just. <laughs> and they just loved me, thank God. If they ever saw that stupid saying on my t-shirt, they were very careful never to let me see their eyes traveling across it. And they came over and put their arms around me and welcomed me into the family of God. And for the first time in my life, I understood what the church was all about. Because Jesus said, they'll know you by your love. And these ladies personified the love of Jesus Christ. And this one lady was so cute, she comes up, I just can't wait to hear you testify. I sit against two. <laughs> See, my daddy was a judge. I knew what that meant. <laughs> and they left, and we had a nice time. And I told Kathy, I need to call my kids. And I, my first prayer after I came to Christ was, Lord, please let me have all my children back. I got my daughter Mindy on the phone and she invited me to come to Greenville and start my new life with her. And so I went to Greenville, found a job, found a church, began living my new life in front of my child and I blew it sometimes. I'm backslided and blew it sometimes. Anybody else blown it yet? Wow, what a holy group. I bet y'all just glow in the dark, don't you? Anybody else blown it yet? like every day, right? Especially with this. My daughter April came to Greenville, moved in with us, started going to church with us. She gave her heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. My son came to live with me. He gave his heart to Jesus. And my granddaughter is now in Connecticut with her husband planting a church up there. And all my children, my grandchildren, all because of some busy men called Gideons placing Bibles in motel rooms. Thank you. Another great testimony of the redeeming power of God's word. So, um, uh, even though there are all these thousands of Gideons throughout the world, we're all always looking for more. So if anyone feels called to minister, ministry in this uh, area of the Gideons, please see me and uh, we'll get you in contact, how to do it. Uh, so it's good to be here again, let's say, and... Uh, 
We know 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God's word is alive, it's powerful, and uh, we never know what God will do with his word. But one thing is certain, we will never reap if we never sow. So that's our job. And thank you very much for the privilege of being here again to the Katyville Mosaic Church. I appreciate your support for the Gideons continuing throughout the years and very thankful. May God continue to bless your ministry here in this lighthouse in Katyville. This is a dark place too. You need this lighthouse. Praise the Lord. <laughs>